Well, good morning, good morning. This is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio, and even more so now that Dr. Roger Tutter is in the house. The doc is in the house. <laughs> yeah. You guys have a low standard of entertainment. Well, I mean, clearly, but, you know, we're not really... It's been a minute since we had a doctor in the house. This is true. Yeah. This is true. That's Troy Harmon. You, you have a lot of designations, right? Uh, a couple, yeah. CFA, CVA. Seem yeah. to be still working on, yeah, working hoping to on, become. Yeah, you mean the incredible certified man, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All that really says he could pass a test. Yeah, you know, I was smart one day in my life. <clears throat> and I'm just a lowly CFP, you know, certified lowly. financial planner. Yeah, I'm not as smart as a PhD though. But you are dollar bill. That's true, dollar, not dollar. Dollar, dollar, dollar. Well, credibility. You know well, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, there, there's not many people. I'm from Stone come. Mountain. Come on. There's not many people that can call themselves dollar. Bill. I agree. I agree. There's and after last year, it was like a dollar and a quarter. <laughs> Buck and a quarter bill. <laughs> there we go. So, how'd the market do this week? Uh, a little bit better. Uh, it's got a, a brief um, World's week. not ending? It uh, doesn't seem to be ending, although Tuesday, you know, we got a little bit of news and uh, inflation worries and uh, rate increases all started uh Hitting the market, uh, Dow's down 1%. But, you know, I've been making this case for a while. The Dow is more expensive than the S&P 500. The S&P was down 0.6% uh, on that particular day. But if you look over the last five days, 20 basis points higher, not too bad. Um, the uh, information technology sector was the was the big winner, 1.4% this week. And on the other end, energy down 1.59%. That's been kind of being beaten up by uh, supply issues. If you look year to date at this point, uh, market's up 1.14%. Um, discretionaries, consumer discretionary. So the things we go out and buy, 5.65% higher. Uh, real estate down 8.5%. That's that uh, sensitivity to interest <laughs> rates again. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a bond proxy, as is telecom, utilities, all down uh, energy as well, all down more than 7% year-to-date. Uh, pretty badly beaten up. If you look over the past 12 months, um, S&P 500 is up 14.4%. All of last year, we had 21.82%, but uh, information technology up 3144 <clears throat> On the far end of that, telecom, 9.21% lower, real estate down 4.7, energy down 4.3, uh, discretionary, consumer discretionary, second highest um, sector at 19.66% over the last 12 months. Uh, we are in the middle of some uh, uh, earnings, and uh, looks here like my uh, interns have put together uh, I'm not sure what they've done. <laughs> Three thousand. Well, here's what you need to know. Out of 8, earnings are higher. Earnings have been doing really well. Uh, if you look at this, I mean, it's a much broader index than the S&P 500, which I would normally look at. Earnings growth in this particular report, 15.5%. And that's pretty much what I've been seeing out of the S&P 500. So 15.5%. Uh, this is a fourth quarter earnings reported, you know, over the last few weeks. Um it's it's uh, pretty handsome returns. And that's uh, year over year, right? It is year over right. year. It's it's cool. relative to their fourth quarter 2016. Um, uh, but again, you know it, the uh, news is not too bad when you uh, when you look at those basic details. Uh, we have gotten a little bit of news out of the economy this week, and I know our friend 
Roger Tutterow's probably better equipped to talk about this than I am. <laughs> he might not be equipped immediately, but I will tell you that uh, probably the biggest news this week is the uh, FOMC minutes. Right. Um, and it seems like there's a bit of a debate going on as to, you know, the the source of inflation, mm-hmm. whether or not we're going to have inflation. Uh, but it seems like all of them, because of economic growth, uh, the strength in our economy, uh, are talking about the fact that we will have some higher interest rates going forward. Yeah, I think that's clear. And I mean, um, the good news is we're talking about rates going up because economic growth remains in good shape. Uh, at least as we go to um, press this morning, the GDP for fourth quarter 2017, 2.6 on the hills of having been 1, 2, 3, 1, and 3, 2 in 2017. So that's a pretty good year for growth. Uh, the other part on them for the Fed is not just raising the short-term target rate. You know, we took it up once in December 15, once in 16, three times last year. We've got at least two, maybe three, maybe remote chance of four, but I think you're more likely to get two to three short-term rate hikes this year. Yeah. But the other side of the pie, and it plays back into our discussion of long-term rates, is not only are we not buying the bonds anymore, we're gradually starting to unwind yeah. those bonds that we purchased with a couple rounds of quantitative easing. Exactly. I see folks talking about uh, um, credit spreads. So when we're talking about credit spreads, it's uh, corporate bonds and uh, their yield relative to the Treasury. Uh, folks are getting a little bit wary, well, you know, of, of uh, corporates. I, I've seen, uh, well, early in the year, I think we saw Goldman Sachs step away from some of their high-yield stuff, for right. sure. Yeah, on the high end, but I mean, if I think if you look at AAA bonds and you look at even you know medium grade corporate bonds versus treasuries, they're still doing pretty well. Right. Uh, and so I think at some point they're going to walk away simply because they're going to say we're not getting enough return to justify what is presumably a little bit higher default risk. Yeah. Uh, before I came up here, I stopped by our Bloomberg terminal and the WERP. Uh, this is uh, global yields uh, are telling us that uh, we probably will have three. Uh, rate increases in 2018, first of which is expected next month in March, uh, second of which would be June, and the third being maybe even as early as November now. Right. And, and what's really strange is uh, first of this month, um, you know, we went from that locked in with a third, uh, third rate increase being in December, you know, over a day or two span when we had some volatility in the market. The next thing you know, uh, some of those numbers started showing that we'd push that third rate increase into 2019. Um, right. I and mean, I think that's clearly the one that's in play. And, you know, one of the ways of handicapping it is the Chicago Merck has the Fed Funds Futures Markets, and you can look at each of the FOMC meeting, minutes, excuse me, each of the FOMC meetings and infer probabilities of rate hikes. And it lines up exactly with what you're saying, Troy. Yeah. Uh, existing home sales, we got numbers out this week. Uh, they said they tumbled in January, so the number of houses sold were down 3.2%. But uh, strangely enough, uh, the the uh, median price year over year was still up 5.8%. Right. You know, it's funny. Sometimes we think uh, about home sales going down, and we assume that means there's softness on the demand side. But candidly, I think part of the problem in the housing market is the supply is just not there. And so if you have pockets of the of the uh, market where you're undersupplied, then you're going to get both the actual number that sell go down and prices go up. Roger, do you know off the top of your head what is normally considered a reasonable supply in the market? I, I've heard 10 or 11 months. Is it bigger than that? That, than that? that might be getting a little bit long. Um, you know, it varies in different markets. I mean, historically, Atlanta, for example, we have speculative builders. 
Uh, different parts of the country do not have as many builders that build on spec. More of them are pre-existing, so that can affect the number of months of supply as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, jobless claims. This has been the, the great story for a long, long time. We still have unemployment at 4.1%. Uh, this is a weekly number, so initial claims for unemployment insurance benefits fell 7,000 from the previous week to uh, 222,000. Uh, Four-week moving average slid 2250 from the previous week. This number just seems to never give up. It's just getting stronger as we go, or so it seems. It does. The labor markets, you know, the 4.1% might be overstating a little bit on how tight they are because the labor participation rate <coughs> has remained stubbornly uh, low. Uh, but that having been said, I talked to people in construction, in manufacturing, in hospitality, in transportation, and they're all telling me that attracting and retaining labor has become one of their big challenges. Yeah. I know you look at a lot of uh, Georgia numbers. Uh, does Georgia look stronger, weaker than the overall national economy? Uh, is there anything that gives you... Um, any conviction as to... No, the, the Georgia economy is clearly stronger than the national average. Uh, we've been pretty consistently among the top uh, seven or eight fastest-growing states in terms of payroll changes, and I don't see that changing going forward. We've had a lot of great economic development wins over the last couple of years, and then, of course, this week the governor talked about support for bringing down income taxes in Georgia right. as an artifact of the federal tax reform. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I did notice that our 10-year Treasury rate uh, was up 8 <clears throat> basis points, or 0.8 basis points, uh, this week to 2.8, uh, 2.92 percent. That's about as high as the 10-year has been in a while. Yeah, it's probably at least four years, I think, since right after the, ta- the taper tantrum, I guess it was. Yeah, right. But you, know, you put it in context, I remember being out in L.A. giving a talk back in probably 2003 or so, and the 10-year bond got down to, I think, 3.1 percent. I marveled, could it ever go lower than that? Right. I never dreamed we'd get down. <laughs> to one and a half after Brexit. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, Two-year being at 2.25, we're, you know, it's still the, the spread between the two and the tens, not really big compared to historical times, right? No, Before that's right. Very narrow spread. Or 70 bips. Yeah, and to, of course, there's two implications there. One is the banks like to see a steeper yield curve. Right. Uh, presumably, the, the spread between twos and tens proxies a little bit for how good they're going to be at taking deposits and creating uh, loans with it. But the other thing is, as the yield curve flattens out and those spreads narrow, Traditionally, it has some predictive power for economic activity down the road. Yeah. All right, Roger. So so let's just say that the Fed raises rates March. Right. A, why do I care? B, does that automatically mean the 10-year or, or other rates are going to go up? I don't think so. I mean, long-term markets are forward-looking. And so the 10-year bond is trying to handicap not just where it sees the short-term rate going in March, but where it sees it going over the next several years. And and also, sometimes it can be a little tricky, because um, if the market is concerned about inflation, which is always the enemy of the long bond, then rate short-term rate hikes actually can bring down long-term rates if they see it as inflation that the Fed is going to be, a conviction the Fed's going to be diligent against inflation. Now, I don't think anybody out there is worried about inflation at this point, and that's why you know, I think you're looking at a 2.9 for a 10-year bond. We'll breach 3% at some point. But, I mean, I don't see what takes us to 4% in 2018. And the short-term rates, so we're going to be at uh, we one hike, we're at, what, 225 mm-hmm. to 250 on Fed funds. That's, uh, what, 550 on the prime? That shouldn't scare anybody away. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind, before the Great Recession, we were at 525 on the Fed funds, 825 on the prime. And I don't recall a lot of dialogue about rates being too high. Yeah, and they've been ridiculously low for a long, long time. I, you know, economic growth has kind of crept along, you know, mm-hmm. as as uh, we've kind of grown from that 
recession, the recovery, and and you talk about this about this uh, once in a while. Uh, in fact, I I love to the to uh, copy your phrase that uh, uh, recoveries from recession usually the Fed kills them, right? They don't die of old age. <laughs> they don't die of old age. It's bad policy, asset bubbles, something like that. So what do you think? But, what do you think happens here? I mean. Well, it, it is fair to say we're in the 105th month of this expansion. So by the time May rolls around, we're going to be the second largest expansion. We'll pass the one, but the Kennedy-Johnson expansion between 61 and 69, and we'll be second only to the one between 1991 and 2001. That's a long time for the economy to grow without a correction. Uh, the good news is I think that the, the economy still looks pretty good. This morning we got numbers on the leading economic indicators, <clears throat> and they continue to show that uh, while there may be some risk out there, the near-term prospects for growth remain quite favorable. Yeah. Um, I, I know also we've talked about um, <clears throat> having having a um, situation where, you know, obviously when you've got expected future cash flows and, and you uh, use those uh, yields to bring them back to – to uh, present value, I won't get any more technical than that. But uh, I'm already sleeping. <laughs> the the thing that we've seen with the Fed is they talk about their dot plots and, and maybe getting as, Thought as you were going to get technical. Well, I don't even couldn't even tell you. That's why I'm asking the doctor. Uh, his the dot plots seem to indicate that three percent is probably the high end of their uh, yields. Is that is you know, that still kind of intact? And I, I love my friends at the Fed, but I would tell you that the dot plot diagram has been one of the worst forecasters of interest rates oh, out yeah. there. Uh, but I do think it tells you something about what the Fed leadership thinks the long-term horizon looks like. And so I think that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. I, I, I don't think necessarily for near-term predictive power it's done that well. But at the end of the day, I want a Federal Reserve that is data dependent. So I want them to respond as the economy changes and as data comes in that paints a different picture. Yeah. So <clears throat> and you, I probably should – I don't like asking a question I don't know the answer to, but I don't actually know the answer to this, so I may come off looking dumber than I already am. But <clears> – <throat> You, you have a – I mean, look, the market is the market. In other words, it really is based upon supply and demand, what mm -hmm. people are willing to pay for something, right? So if bond prices go up, the yields go down. If bond prices go down, the yields go up, mm -hmm. okay? So you have the Fed that's not basically buying any more bonds in the marketplace, right. and then they're letting the ones roll off that they currently own. So is there going to be a supply issue yeah, that's a great point. You know, between 2009 and 2013, I believe it was, we had three rounds of quantitative easing. The Fed uh, took their balance sheet up fourfold by buying treasury bonds and mortgage-backed uh, agency paper. And starting last year in the fourth quarter, they started letting, I think it's $10 billion a month burn off. Now we're at $20 billion a month. Next quarter, it'll be $30 billion a month. So by the end of the year, we're going to have a pace of $600 billion a year allowed to mature and roll off the balance sheet. Well, th those bonds are going to have to go somewhere else. Someone else is going to have to buy them. And the way you get so that someone to buy them is by offering them more attractive yields. And I think that probably the beginning of the unwinding of the quantitative easings, which, as we said, started the fourth quarter of last year, probably has contributed some to some upward pressure on long-term rates. All right. So I, I'm, I'm a person who can move money all over the world, and I'm in Europe, and I realize, oh, man, you know, they're still easing over there. Rates right. are low. Would that not then drive cash to come back over here and then push rates back down? 
I think you're exactly right. And we frequently say one of the things that holds down long-term rates is that you can look across the pond and you can see um, Italy and Ireland and, and Greece and Spain and Portugal and these countries that were threatening to default upon their debt obligations a couple of years ago. And in many of their cases, they've got 10-year bonds running 2% or less. So that tells you, certainly not in Greece's case, but if you look at Italy and Ireland and Spain and Portugal, it tells you it's hard for, for domestic rates to go up very fast. Now, the one last caveat is if you're going to be investing in another country, you do have foreign exchange exposure. Because if I take those uh, euro and I convert them into dollars and park them in the U.S., eventually that, that instrument will mature and you'll want to convert it back into euros. Right. So you're making a bet not just on the spread between interest rates, but what you think foreign exchange will look like when the instrument matures. Yeah. Is this is when we buy bitcoins? Is, is that, <laughs> no, no I'm not do sure Bitcoin. if there is, is that a time a, to buy Bitcoin. We don't, no. I saw that uh, article. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm not advocating <clears throat> that for sure. Well, you're not, really? No. I'm, I'm you're saying, not in Bitcoin? Uh, no. Really? Uh, Bitcoin. I bought it when it first came out, man. Where have you been? It's a speculation. I you sold it, it like when it first when, came. You know, you know what, three was, months ago. I was talking to a guy locally here. That's a joke, uh, by the way. Yeah, I hope it is. <laughs> a bad one. Uh, anyway, I was talking to a guy here locally, and, uh, you know, when Bitcoin was relatively new, he used seven Bitcoin to buy himself a, a USB cable. A USB cable. Bitcoin is now, what, 10 grand per Bitcoin? 70 grand. <laughs> For a, for a USB cable. It didn't cost him that much at the time, but as inflation mm. in Bitcoin cr was created, there he was. Uh, it's just bizarre. Some of the stories you hear out there, but anyway. Yeah, don't invest. Invest, and I'm using air quotes here. Uh, it's really more of speculation in the Bitcoin. So, uh, and I, we may run long here just because I want to I wanna go back to the, the question I was asking. So as money flows over here, it's going to drive the price of the bonds higher because you're bidding them up yields come down, it's just a vicious circle, right? So we don't really know how much demand is going to be from overseas right. versus how fast they're rolling them off, meaning the Fed. But then we have a deficit, so we're having to print more, correct? Right. Well, yeah, you, you've got at least at least three or four different factors. You know, you've got the unwinding of the quantitative easings, which, if anything, should push the rates up. You've got the fact that Europe is still adding accommodation. So to that degree, some of that may flow over here and park in, in, in U.S. bonds and hold rates down. Uh, you've got what will likely be an increasing deficit, uh, although the, the, the linkages between deficits and interest rates, you know, there's, a, there's some time. But they got to print more bonds, right? they got to sell more bonds. Yeah, raise... that, that's right. And okay. so someone's got to buy them. And then, of course, the other, the other part of it is countries that have big trade surpluses like with us, like China, they got to park those dollars somewhere. You know, China doesn't buy U.S. bonds because they love the U.S. They buy U.S. bonds because they got a lot of dollars because of their trade surplus. Right. No well, doubt. Didn't have to run over. Yeah. So we're going to stop here for a quick break. You listen to Money Talks. I'm Bill Laco, Troy Harmon, Dr. Roger Tuttero. We'll be right back. All material presented is compiled from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decisions and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified professional, such as a tax consultant, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments, it is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. 
portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.